0: Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Culture Ops podcast. I've been extremely fortunate to never have worked in a truly negative workplace culture. That might make some of you wonder why I've got the authority to talk on the subject of culture so confidently. Well, the answer is, is that while I've not had that experience directly myself, I absolutely have experienced it through loved ones and people really close to me. I've seen firsthand the impact that a negative workplace culture can have on someone's self-esteem. Their confidence and just their overall ability to enjoy life. Negative workplace culture is the reason we started building Charlie over five five years ago. We, We wanted to create a business that could be a positive force for making work better in the world, an organization that would strive to set a better example. Most of the organizations we have on this podcast have experiences and understanding of what are generally pretty effective, cultures. It's rare that we get to consider some of those that maybe are a bit more negative and what the effect of that culture might be. So joining me to discuss that is someone that understands that subject um, in great detail, Gemma McCall, CEO and co-founder of Culture Shift. Gemma, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're super welcome. And Uh, Where in the world are you? Are you in London
1: or are you elsewhere? I'm near Manchester. I'm at home in Macclesfield today, but uh, we're based in Manchester. Jealous. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's a very exciting place to be and somewhere that I literally always wanted to be, like from when I was little. I'm from um, down south originally, Um, but like in that whole uh oasis time I was like I wanna be in Manchester and uh yeah I've I moved up here when I was about nineteen and have never looked back.
0: And you've got, you know, just like greenery and space around <laughs> you. And you've got the, the peaks literally on your doorstep.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing. Really amazing.
0: Nice. Okay, yeah very jealous. You're making me feel um you know anxious about my <No>. My small house in uh, South London, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, so, tell us a bit about Culture Shift and why you decided to start the business in the first place.
1: Uh, okay, so um, for uh, those listening who don't know, Culture Shift is a tech for good organization. Um, the foundation of what we do is our software, which uh, allows anyone who has experienced or witnessed any bullying, harassment, or discrimination to be able to report it either um, anonymously or with their name and connect that person with further support for what they've experienced. Um, We license it to organizations and those organizations uh, can use the trend analysis dashboards within it um, to understand any negative um trends that are happening uh within the workplace and then take um a real targeted approach to tackling those um negative trends. Um so rather than people continuing to experience that behaviour, they can be proactive and tackling it and stamp it out. Very
0: cool. And and did and did you come up with the concept for the business um because of personal experiences or 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 things that you witnessed? Yeah, in the early part of your
1: career. So my, the reason why we co-founded the business is because we collaborated with the University of Manchester on a specific issue that was happening in higher education um, at the time, but but continues to to survive, unfortunately. Um, But my um, reason for really searching for purpose in my professional career um, comes from my personal experience of being um, experiencing maternity discrimination so um, I had a successful career in um, sales and then um, went left an agency to um, go on maternity leave and have a baby and um, fully expected to go back um that was made illegally um made made redundant illegally whilst I was on maternity leave and at that time it was after my first child and you feel very isolated during um maternity leave like in the in the sort of run up to it you're thinking like how how am I gonna survive without work because it's like a massive part of my life um and then you kind of remove yourself from the workplace and cope with you know keeping this little human alive <laughs> and you're obviously so focused on that that you don't necessarily um give the workplace any thought. so then when it comes back to you going back you're thinking oh you know am I going to be able to do this like you know like I'm a mother now so like what does that mean for me being able to do my job and everything it's really isolating and a a very um difficult time from a confidence perspective so then when that happened it was like a vote of no confidence and sort of really um like it was as if they're making me redundant was like a vote of no confidence and them saying, yeah, we don't think you're going to be able to do this again either because you've gone off and you've become a mum now. So the first time um, I then went back into the workplace full time, um, you know, uh, for a different job. And um, it was too expensive to uh, uh, go through a tribunal and everything. So I sort of chalked that down to experience, a horrible experience, but an experience. Then I had my second kid and a similar thing happened And I was like, this can't be me because by this point, I'd obviously gone back to a successful sales career. And so I didn't have that like self-doubt that I'd had the first time around. And I was like, this can't just be me. And by that point, um, the sort of world of the Insta-mum had like exploded. And I started doing some research and there was an organization called Pregnant Then Screwed that said nearly 70,000 women a year are made redundant whilst they're on mat leave and so I was like, Hang on a minute, this is not just me. And so that, like, that realization, like, ignited something in me. And I didn't know where my cause would land. But then, when the work with uh, the University of Manchester came along, it was like I found it. I, f- I found it, and it was something that I, like, I became a change maker. Sort of in that moment. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. If this is the topic of this is the topic of, of, of what we're talking about today but I'd love to dig a bit further like does an experience like that ever leave you
1: probably not because it's like <laughs> you know it's it's like those things that happen in your background that like drive you and so there's probably like a really big part of me that drives drives me to prove that they made the wrong decision at that time
0: yeah so what I mean, it feels like you've feels like you've managed to take something which is like, yeah, incredibly negative, and and use that as fuel for your fire, and mm. and has and it's given you real purpose.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, using that negative experience, but also um, my um, my first child is uh, my daughter, and um, I the the fact that she is a girl really drives me because I really have a thing sort of inside me that I want to change things for her. Like I want to change the world you know for good for everyone, but I don't want her to experience that same discrimination just because of who she is. So that definitely also like drives me as well.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I'm yeah, something's really shifted for me in that context as well. I'm about to be a father and i'm mm-hmm. having a I'm having a girl and um I like to think that as as a male boss in in the workplace, I have at least some awareness of how to behave and the type of culture that we should that we that we that we need that we need to craft that is that is safe and for people that are harassed and marginalized and maybe don't feel as safe and secure in the world as like a white middle-class man does and um and I've always been conscious of that but it's amazing how much more conscious I've become of it since I'm since knowing that I'm going to have a baby girl because I'm like oh wow like you know I just feel so much more clarity and energy towards the importance of that because I'm I'm going to have someone that inhabits that world that I need to I, I, you know, I want to make sure that they're inhabiting a place that is um, safe for them.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And while you were talking then, I was just thinking, like, what is that? Is it that maybe legacy before you're a parent isn't as important because you're just sort of as a bit selfishly like in the here and now and just, you know, want it to be right for you. But then there's, there's that sense of, legacy but like because you know that um you've got someone there who you know is obviously is like gonna outlive you and you want that world to be a better place
0: yeah I think that's probably exactly what it is right like the idea of leaving uh leaving the place better than you found it you know
1: yeah yeah
0: um like I've always I've always enjoyed that perspective so I guess moving back and thinking a bit more uh, macro about the, the issue at hand that we're talking about here, do, is, is there a particular way that you describe or think about the facets of a negative work, workplace culture? If you're, if you're in a meeting with a potential customer or you're, sort of, you're having a conversation in, internally and someone says, okay, so what is a negative workplace culture? How do you describe that? How do you, like, how do you summarize that to someone?
1: That's really that's such a good question. Um, I think it's a couple of a couple of ways. One is it's what goes unsaid and unspoken that you need to worry about because the things that you know about are literally the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's all of the things that people either feel scared to speak out about because they fear the repercussions. Or um, a a major thing is that they feel like the behaviours or the things that they're experiencing from from others in the workplace are like too low level to go to HR or make a formal complaint about something. And it's how you capture that grey noise, if you like, which makes a difference because it's happening every single day, but it's just too low level to go big with it or what's perceived as big with it. Um, are the the things that ultimately take their toll and go? Do you know what I'm going to leave? Um, because I don't want to like go out, go all out, and make a big formal complaint about it. I don't want that that experience. And most of the time, people don't have that opportunity to like tell their organization about those lower level things. So I think like what's beneath the surface is something that is is worrying um there was something else that i thought of then as well um oh yeah it's the i think it's also like there's a there's a really good quote and i wish i could remember it in full but the sort of the the culture of the organization is set by the like the the behavior that you tolerate like the behavior of the worst person that you tolerate and um if you you know, if someone is a really high performer, but you tolerate their poor behaviour, that sends a message to the rest of your organisation about what is and isn't tolerated. Um, so, I think that's that's what I've learned is the is the hard thing about this work and about how people, um, how organisations understand it. Because a lot of organisations will do you know, like annual surveys, for example, which are great and part of the whole like mix of understanding your organisation, but they are a snapshot on a day, a moment of someone, um, you know, being prepared to answer that question. And, you know, from like, from day to day, or like, you know, you can start the, you can start the day feeling quite positive and then like finish it feeling quite negative depending on what's happened. So it's just like a snapshot and not, not the be all and end all. I don't think you can decide and, and make can draw conclusions from that one moment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Have you done any work, or, um, or or is it is it? Do you think it's pretty obvious in terms of when you're having conversations with, with potential customers? Um, like, what are the impacts? Uh, what are the actual impacts of that negative workplace culture on an organisation? Like, do you narrow it down to? Um, do you narrow it down to sort of f- like fundamental metrics around maybe retention or attraction or performance? Is that how you communicate? Like, hey, this is why we need to fix this because it's really affecting your ability to be successful as a company? Or um or do you do you are you a bit more sort of holistic rather than talking in those terms?
1: We do talk about it in those terms. I talk about it a lot in terms of attrition, um, because I think most organization, forward-thinking organizations, have acknowledged that um, uh, if uh, being more diverse strengthens that organization, right? So they can, so they spend a lot of money on trying to attract diverse talent, um, but then don't retain that diverse talent, and that's because you can say a lot and and spend a lot of money in attracting that, that diverse talent. But if you are not understanding their experience and their sense of belonging, when they work within your organization, then they're just going to like leave. It's going to be just like a conveyor belt of talent. Um, And so we, we talk about it a lot in terms of, of that. And also, you know, the sense of, like presenteeism as well of uh, and things like that and um you know people or or sickness levels and people you know calling in sick uh, just just as a side note like across our platform uh, across like the network of um platforms that we've got um sunday night is the highest time is the most used time for reporting um and i think that's really interesting because i think that sort of it, it that sunday night blues isn't just like a theoretical thing like at culture shift we see that in the data that that is a moment where people decide actually do you know what it's the start of another week tomorrow and i'm really feeling shit so this is finally the time that i'm going to i'm going to say tell the organisation about what i've experienced
0: that is really interesting, because I sometimes wonder, like, do you think organisations are actually aware of the culture they've created? Yeah. Like, are, are customers and people that you work with often surprised? I, don't know, I can't imagine that this kind of stuff is happening in our organisation, or do you think there is an awareness?
1: I've worked with organisations where um, they've known that there's a problem in one area, and then, uh, so, so it went live, and the data proved that yes there was a problem but then they've also been uh, surprised that actually there was a hidden problem in another department that they weren't aware of um so and that was just in one organization so it was like confirmation of something that was happening in one area of the business and a surprise in another area of the business
0: so it was maybe the problem the next the problem was a bit more deep rooted than than they than they realized
1: yeah yeah
0: and do you think that's because, like you said, a culture sets itself on the lowest common denominator of what you tolerate? And so, if pe- if other people see that actually that is tolerated, then they're like, "Well, I can, I can," you know, it doesn't doesn't require anyone to be better um, because they're seeing it being tolerated in maybe other departments or across other functions.
1: Mm, I don't know. I think it's more. Um the weight that organizations put on the number of formal complaints about something. So uh, they would, they would use formal complaints as a measure of like what's happening. Whereas, like I said before, it's like the hidden stuff that people don't feel is enough to go and make a big formal complaint about. Um, that is, um, so, so that, that sort of using that metric of, well, we don't have many complaints about bullying, so we haven't got a problem is like a red, that's dangerous because actually um it's that could signal a few different things like um so it so as i've said before you can so this isn't the start of a formal complaints process if you report through our system it is um access to support for what you're experiencing so um if generally what we see is a in year one a high level of anonymous reporting and a lower level of named reporting and then if the organization are getting the sort of feedback loop right you should see that shift to fewer anonymous reports and more named reports because the trust is building within the organization um if you don't see any reports at all then that doesn't say that there's isn't a problem. It's more of a sign that the the trust levels in the organisations are so low that they don't even trust that it's going to be safe for them to report anonymously. Um, so I think that's that's quite interesting. But formal complaints are just like the, like I keep saying, just the tip of the iceberg, really.
0: And is that is that kind of the the, the journey that you're trying to take organisations on, which is like, let's try and get away from thinking about formal complaints as a measure for like you know uh, really negative behavior in an organization and actually give people the platform uh, the technology to report this stuff uh on a more ad hoc and in the moment basis where there maybe isn't that formality attached to it
1: yeah and i think it is a, like a recognition that like early um early intervention is better than you know and and you you can Bring something back, bring a team back together. If you can intervene and nip something in the bud early, rather than if it gets to a formal complaint or a whistleblowing situation, that is like you can't really come back from that, or it's very difficult to come back from that. So it's really um, getting them to understand that, like, intervening at this point will just save so much, like, like lost hours of work expense in like legal situations and everything if you just do the work here
0: yeah no, I think I think that makes a lot of sense um and I suppose that the majority of organizations that you're trying to support are, are, are at the sort of like relatively large large scale these are these are these are these are ish companies right multiple hundreds of employees maybe thousands
1: yeah, um, we do work with a few organisations who um, want to start right, if that makes sense. So, um, mm-hmm. yes, we work with a lot of organisations that are, you know, like they've been established for a long, long time. They've got hundreds or thousands of um, employees and they want to understand what's happening with them. But but it's organisations who, uh, yeah, like I say, want to. So we're working with some fintech businesses who are very aware of like the negative cultures that exist within financial services and they don't want to become that so they're um working with us early so that um they can start as they mean to go on
0: nice okay so if people do want to start as they mean to go on um what do you think are some of the key policies and processes that organizations should be thinking about from day one maybe if they're not the level of Actually, implementing a product like Culture Shift. What are some of the other things that they could be thinking about and doing?
1: I think it is that really focusing on that sense of like belonging and inclusion that everyone should feel within the organisation, and really um, fostering and um, celebrating. Although I don't know whether "celebrate" is the is the right word, but um, that speak up culture so instead of um instead of like when someone does speak up about something like trying to kind of like you know hide it away or um deal with it quietly um not dealing with it quietly and you know getting it out out in the open um and uh, you know i think i think that and and also having like your um it sounds sort of boring but your policies and processes in place as early as you can um which is something that we've um not struggled with but when you're a scaling business you start with like a few people and everyone kind of knows you know oh this is how it is here with a few people because it's easy to like um manage that but then you you scale and grow quite quickly and you're like oh wait we haven't got our we haven't thought through what would happen in that situation um you know like we've had it um for example in like a bereavement situation um where you thought it was clear but actually it wasn't clear and so um making that helped us to realize that you have to you can't just like write your policies and then hope that people understand them when a situation happens you have to actually like talk about them regularly and often
0: and how do you do that, though? Like, how do you? Uh, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, you know, and I'm a big proponent for that. And when I talk about culture crafting, I talk about three components: people, policies, and process. And policies being not things in a desk drawer, but mm-hmm. clear narrative-driven do's and don'ts of an organization. Uh, and so, I'm really interested in in, in in your take on how you bring those policies to life. Like, how do you live them?
1: So we are we are like this having a constant like watch on this at the moment um, but what we're trying at the moment so uh, there's nearly 30 of us now at culture shift and we have a all hands meeting uh, every month uh where we talk about like what's happening um in terms of like the product the um the sales and the marketing and that side of the business but then we also take a moment to go right do you understand like what benefits are here and talk about a benefit because people like really i think you know when you're going into an organization you look at what the benefits are and then you quite quickly forget about all the benefits that are available so we we talk about those on a rotating kind of um basis and um like use use those moments as well to talk about like different policies and like what they mean and what um is available and signposting people to them as well because people forget even where they are
0: yeah and so you know like at charlie we work with you know businesses that zero to 250 you know we focus on small businesses we call that sort of two to 99 um uh culture shift our customer Mm -hmm. um what is the lowest fi, like process that you can put in place to recreate what you're doing with culture shift for maybe slightly bigger organizations? Like, what's what's the low fi way of creating a process where people feel like they can talk about these things?
1: Talk about uh, bullying, harassment, and discrimination. You mean? Yeah. So, in the organizations uh, that we work with, with, the the bigger organizations. I think they often forget how many ways there are to like report within harassment and discrimination. Um, and so I was working with an organisation the other day and we we um, we were mapping out, right, so if someone experienced something today, what would they do? And there were many, many different ways that they could speak up about it, which is a positive way. You shouldn't only just have one, one way. Um, but in this particular organisation, it was like there were so many ways that you wouldn't know which one to was the right one to choose. And there was also like a con- inconsistent experience on the other end of it. So if you emailed one email address, then someone would get back to you like within a day. If you emailed another email address, then it could be 12 weeks until someone gets back to you. So like understanding if someone has experienced something like what can they do about it and getting that like consistent framework for responding to it because 12 weeks is a really really long time for someone to have experienced something pluck up the courage to finally say something about it a 12 week wait for anyone to get back to you and in that time Anyone else in the organisation could go to that person and say, oh, "I'm, th- I, you know, I'm experiencing this. I'm thinking of reporting it," and they would say, "Oh, don't bother. Nothing happens." Like this, it's such a dangerous situation to be in. I think.
0: Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And for any small organisation that are taking twelve weeks to get back to someone, I mean, that's just bad. That's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs>
0: yes, it's not okay. So no. just to summarise, I think the two things there that like valuable insights that I, that I would take away are. You might have a policy, but that doesn't mean that your organization actually understand it, remember it, and mm-hmm. feel like they can use it. So resurface those policies, talk to talk to people about them, make it conversational in type, in terms of like, do you remember what we do in this instance? Remember what, what is possible here? And um, I think that's that in part is like our job when we're in a leadership position is just to constantly be communicating and clarifying for the organization. And then in terms of process, just make sure you're clear on if someone does report something, how are we going to respond? When are we going to respond? How are we going to deal with it? Have we got a plan for that? Because I think especially for small organisations, they might not have thought that through. And so um, really nice to look at it from the perspective of the person that's doing the reporting maybe some of the challenge and struggle that they've been through to get to that point, it's really important that we follow it up with energy and clarity and and a quick resolution.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I don't think it can be underestimated how difficult difficult it is for someone to speak up about something and how um, precarious it is, as in, um, like, it is... uh, So we um, can see how many people start to the reporting process and actually ultimately how many people finish it and it's huge the the disparity and that's um because it's it's really hard and it's really easy for someone to go actually do you know what this is too hard I'm too scared and I don't want to do this
0: how do you make that easy in your product because
1: <laughs> <'cause laughs> well, that feels that feels like a it.
0: huge it feels like a huge challenge
1: it is it is a real challenge and it's like a real um sort of, I I, uh, feel the burden of it like from an ethical point of view, right? Because if we were just – if we were like a retail website and we were just selling stuff, then we could do A-B testing, right? We could say, right, let's make this button that says buy now red and let's make this button blue and see which one performs better. Um, But to do that when someone is telling you something that sometimes can be incredibly sensitive and difficult – it's really like, it, it doesn't feel like that's the right thing to do. So it's, t- it's really hard. It's really hard. And we look at, we try and look at language and tweaking the language or making as many things like optional or as easy as possible. So for example, um, like the, most of the questions that you would be asked are, are like either multiple choice or single choice. Uh, and there's like one free text box where you can say this is this is you have the option to say this is what happened to me um and it's just taking the sort of thinking out of it as much as possible because it's a difficult thing to do so if I can go right tick 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 submit then that makes it easier
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um final question then we're going to wrap up but Mm -hmm. I think I think when I think about culture, I often think about like the, the role that leadership play in this. And so I love like final words of advice for leaders and the responsibility that they have to um, to ensure that mm, situations like we've just been describing are dealt with in the right way. Like how, how should leaders show up when it comes to um, uh, supporting this type of work in an organisation?
1: Um, I think it comes to, I, I, I think as a leader that one of the most, the two most important things are vulnerability and transparency. Um, so I think um, I try and talk a lot about like the things that I'm concerned about or, um, or you know, that my own sort of uh, like, doubts that I'm having or difficulties that I'm having so so like I have to do a lot of public speaking and I find that really difficult but when people watch me speak they say that they that they it must be easy for you and so I sort of try and talk a lot about how it's not and you know reassure the team that I'm very 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 nervous when it comes to public speaking to try and help them you know not think that I'm like perfect or anything like that Uh, and transparency i think is really key as far as you possibly can be as much as you can be let everyone know what's happening so that kind of um rumor mill doesn't um get get going i think
0: nice um, Gemma, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And um, if people want to understand uh, the work that Culture Shift does and and um, get a bit closer to you, where should they go?
1: They should go to culture-shift.co.uk.
0: Very nice. um uh, Like the work you're doing is incredible, and uh, hearing your backstory, hearing how you got there, um, was just uh, it was really special. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, organizations that have purpose behind them they just they just hit different right and um it, it it really it really shows how much you care about what you're doing um so thank you for joining uh, us today and i hope that we get to have you uh, on the show again soon
1: thank you so much i really appreciate it
0: awesome um, and as ever i've got to thank mel our producer behind the virtual glass to all of you for listening along we appreciate you Never. ever um, please go forward and, and take some of this advice and some of this wisdom from Gemma. Um, we look forward to seeing you again soon. I've been Ben Branson Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast.